0: And I, I would have to say maybe the best day I had on the set of Teen Wolf was not a, an episode I was in, but it was watching him direct his episode.
1: Finerus, buddy, this makes no sense. You're saying like, no, I don't talk about werewolves anymore. Okay, sir, sign your name? Yes, Conrad Werewolf. Uh, I'm totally
2: like 22, but I forgot my ID at home. <laughs> <laughs> Can you find me like a okay, girl. <laughs> <laughs> There's a banner year for Zima, and Will is to blame. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate
1: Colvin and Will Wallace.
2: Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit and TV series one episode at a time, but this week, we're talking about Search for a Cure, a series of six tiny webisodes produced by AT&T. They were released between June 29th after season one, episode five, The Tell, and July 25th before episode nine of season one, Wolfsbane. While it's not clear exactly where the events of Search for a Cure fall on the timeline of season one, they do seem to take place before episode eight, Lunatic. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta, The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rtbh podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills.
1: If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. This week's five-star review comes from Podcasts Sometimes, and they say great recap pod by people who know the show.
2: If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to beaconhills at gmail.com.
1: Search for the Cure was written and directed by Jeff Davis. Also, this week's interview with John Posey, actor, and Tyler Posey's dad will be placed entirely in the alpha section because of all the spoilers we talk about.
3: In Search for a Cure, Scott and Styles track down a disgraced doctor who might just be an expert on werewolves in hopes of curing Scott.
2: The intro for Search for a Cure is very video game-esque, which I think is funny because they actually did have a very short-lived Teen Wolf game that they put online, but it was very different from the style.
3: Right. This, this, yeah. this seems like more of a console game.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. Style. Angela Harvey worked on that video game.
3: I
2: wish it was still available for us to play and give her. A
1: it would be Me fun
3: too. That would be such a fun bonus episode. Oh, we could have Thanks, done
1: a MTV. let's play. Oh, that would have been fun.
3: Right? Ah, oh, so yeah. sad.
1: Thanks, MTV and Viacom.
2: Why does it say Teen Wolf Instinct in the corner?
3: Do either of you know?
1: I I noticed that when we were watching, I do not know what that is. Maybe that was...
3: My first thought was that it was maybe a reference to the tagline, trust the instinct or trust your instincts, but that was season two, right?
1: Yeah, because the first one is Love, Be Afraid. Right. I don't know, maybe that was just some marketing thing, maybe.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it had to have been. Yeah. So uh, after this sort of video game-like intro, Scott hangs upside down from the top of Styles' jeep to ask Styles what he found out. And what's really fun about it is that it's kind of a role reversal from the pilot, where Styles startles Scott while hanging upside down from the roof. Yeah, it's great. Was a cute, it was a very cute scene.
2: I do feel like it was a little rude for him to jump on Roscoe the jeep. Does
3: that jeep not suffer enough? As it's... does it not suffer enough? Truly. Will no one think of the Jeeps?
1: <laughs> it's great. Again, I still wish Roscoe had kept like all its war wounds throughout the run of the show instead that of being have been fixed cool. over time. So Style shows Scott a video of Dr. Conrad Haberland giving a presentation on werewolves to his peers who ridicule him throughout his presentation. And it's very rude. Just hear him laughing, hear them laughing the whole time while he's trying I to mean, talk about serious things.
2: Unless he's like presenting at a cryptoology. Uh, conference, I feel like I understand why they were really killing like him.
1: But he's at the same convention where James Spader spoke on Egyptian aliens in that movie Stargate. He I have was not also, seen
2: that he nerd.
1: He was also left out of that room.
2: Well, he should
1: be watch movies, people. That's all I'm saying. Um, that movie yeah. is yeah. Movie I, I, is I never really watch
2: movies. It's just I don't even own a TV. That's why I'm working on this. Like
1: TV I know because all you podcasts. use watch everything on TikTok
2: on your phones. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it would Movie take- should
1: be in black and white And without sound <laughs> The way God intended <laughs> The way God
2: intended. I love how so much of this So far is just Them streaming a video on a phone Because AT&T is the one Like presenting this Who gave the money I guess To produce this They're the advertising partner So it's just like Let's watch this presentation He gives on this tiny little screen For right. like It's us watching them Watching this dude, dude. Yeah
1: yeah, the whole first episode is them watching a YouTube video.
2: I love my Teen Wolf, but they were real bad about phone advertisements.
1: Making making TV shows is expensive. Gotta get that budget it. from somewhere. That and Twizzlers and gum and, and all the other things. And Toyota <laughs> and Macy's. So, yeah.
2: Reese, Reese cups. Reese cups. Yes. Reese cups are the only acceptable one. The editing effects for the video of Dr. Conrad really look like the video effects I use in CapCut <laughs> to make edits for TikTok. He's just like a lot of weird glitching going on for no apparent reason. I'm like, at t are you trying to sell us on using your phone? Why does it keep glitching out? Is this the original footage? I don't know. I just don't know about the quality of your products at t
1: One of uh, Fenris's peers actually got that video and added all those effects as another way to ridicule him. <laughs> 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 this this. Ridiculation. You're to that burn. Uh, yes, yes. This this burn has layers. So I would like to
2: see like the remix version of it. <laughs> oh, auto tune. Auto tune. You, you know, know how they would do those auto tune <laughs> remixes of people There's talking. There's a werewolf. But, yeah. <laughs> where, where,
1: where <laughs> it's like a dubstep version too.
2: <laughs> that would totally fit in with Teen Wolf.
1: Yeah, dubstep. definitely. A lot of a lot of dubstep on our show.
2: Styles explains that Dr. Haberland was so humiliated that he legally changed his name to Dr. Fenris, and that's how Styles knows he's got the right guy. Scott stares at him blankly—a look that we get a lot from Scott. Oh, Aww. <laughs> he's talking to Styles. I mean, and that time Jackson had to explain to him what argent meant, and some other times.
1: <laughs> I feel like there are many more times where Scott just has that glassy expression because he doesn't understand what's happening
2: but this is why you know the argent thing had to be like pointed out to scott by jackson because it just did not click for him and i feel like styles just didn't even take the time to explain it because of this experience right here
3: like, <laughs> I, just like, I, I won't bother but
1: they've been scott friends long enough
2: damn research himself <laughs>
1: <laughs> he knows yeah, oh, Scott's... What,
2: what
3: was it In- inquiry it scott <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's right yes yes <laughs>
3: So Styles explains that in Norse mythology, Fenris is the son of Loki. Since Fenris is a giant wolf, he's said to be the influence for the story of Little Red Riding Hood.
1: This guy has a serious hard-on for werewolves.
2: Don't you mean a giant, not for werewolves? Oh, that's
1: disgusting. <laughs> <You're
3: welcome. laughs> we don't kink shame on this podcast.
1: No, we Will. do not kink shaming. Kink shaming is is awful. You should not do that. All kinks are valid except nodding. <laughs> Missionary or nothing. through a hole in a sheet.
3: <laughs> oh, God.
1: Preferant Moving reprying. on. Scott asks, if he was so humiliated, why would he change his name to that of a giant wolf? Styles guesses that it's because Dr. Fenris, despite everything, still believes in werewolves. While he can't say for sure that Dr. Fenris knows about a cure, he has watched all of Dr. Fenris' videos, and he seems to know everything there is to know about werewolves and other shapeshifters, such as berserkers. That makes Fenris the closest thing they have to an expert.
2: I love how they underline the word werewolves and, like, blood, (laughs) and they're just like, we assume people won't pause and read this stuff, so we're just going to, like, highlight the major points.
3: Right, Real, there's sort of some but... miscellaneous text behind him as he speaks, but they're like, "But are people really gonna pause and read all this stuff?" The answer is yes. Like, the they the answer fans yes. They did not know so much. Yes, people.
1: so much. Yes. Later on in this show, there is a book that gets read. There's a novel that gets read in season five. I wrote all of that. And did you really? I did. I
3: didn't know that.
1: I guess I hid that from y'all. Like everything else.
2: Yes. So if we pause it, they'll be the wrong type of yours. And
3: oh, stuff no, right you can't save I can totally see.
1: it. Wow. All right. All right.
3: <laughs> well, it's like, and that's the end of this podcast. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to Return to Beacon Worth it for We'll that be joke back next week
2: after Melissa. I cry.
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> next week, we'll have two hosts me and, hey, my, and me and my tears. So. <laughs> but yes there's a book coming up in a couple of seasons and uh, uh there's a novel that plays into the story a little bit and i wrote all of that stuff because we knew because we were gonna have to have shots of like turning pages it was like well we can't just have what lorem ipsum lorem or whatever ipsum. we can't just have that so um lorem ipsum guys children learned. is uh not real language it looks like latin but it's just words
3: I thought it was Latin. Is
1: it it actually? I don't think it's Latin. I think it's just made up. Like, I think it looks like Latin, but it's just words that, you know, instead of typing out like a newspaper story or something, they would just do it all in lorem ipsum. And because they were like, well, back in the 40s, nobody's going to ever see this again after they leave the theater. So we don't actually have to write a story for yeah. this newspaper article because they're only going to see it for a couple of frames. And uh, yeah, little did they know. But yes, so I did write all that stuff. I look forward I to want this getting to that. I a
3: copy of that book.
1: A- yeah, me too. Apparently
3: it is a corrupted version of a Latin phrase. So the more oh, you know. Okay, nice. Scott
2: points out that they also have Derek who... Is also close to an expert. I mean, sure, okay. Styles says, "There you go, just mentioning his name again." Wow, do you enjoy hurting me?
1: Okay, Styles, your reaction—it sounds like y'all broke up. Like this <gasps> I, does not sound I know, like a know, right?
2: It totally does. This oh does my God. not
1: sound like a. You know, we're enemies or something. It's this feels more like they've broken up, and Scott has been commanded not to speak <laughs> his name around Styles. Like
3: wounded sounding. It's like, it's oh, wounded. How, you can't even, you, why would you bring his name up to me? You can't, you can't do that. You can't say his name in front of me. We talked about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not what they were going for with this line, but it's like, it's just the tone and the inflection. It's just like, yeah. this is the take you? you? I mean, I'm happy with that. I am totally fine with that. But it's just like this is choices were made. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. was there not it a totally second? Granted, like I know this thing was shot super fast, you know. So it's like they might have just done like one take of everything and had to move so quickly. I would not be surprised if like they shot this entire thing in one night. Mm-hmm. So you know that might have been the only choice they had. But still, it's it's a uh, it's pretty wounded for this guy to be saying this. this so
2: our little steric moment of the.
1: Series. Like, we need it's, a it's
3: just the tone the tone is
2: very it's light the
1: tone
3: my feelings are still delicate yeah. on this matter and you know that yeah it's the little steric moment of this episode
1: ah yes Aww. we need a we need to get fans who are listening to us if somebody could make a the more you know gif but it just says steric moment trailing behind a bright burning star yeah that would be awesome
2: my god i love that
1: I would I give I you how to make gifts. not One money, dollar.
2: but <laughs> what's something I have admiration,
1: more <laughs> and that is worthless. So, <laughs> I mean, priceless. But uh, yeah, so somebody Can get on that, please. <laughs> somebody get on that, please.
2: I love Derek. You know, I love me some Derek. He is an underappreciated character. I'm surprised Scott brings him up here because he doesn't at all seem to respect Derek. And Derek is pretty far for an expert. As someone who's raised a werewolf, there's a lot of stuff he does not know.
3: That is true. However, I have two sort of rejoinders in Derek's defense. And one of those is that it seems like the thing he knows the least about is Bitten Wolves, and I've constructed an elaborate headcanon for why that would be, as we've discussed in a a previous episode. The other thing being that Scott doesn't actually ask Derek questions, uh, unlike Fenris in this episode. They ask many follow-up and clarifying questions of Fenris, something that really just doesn't happen with Derek, or rather, the only time it happens is Styles tries to ask some clarifying questions until he is glared into the back of the car.
1: I want to disagree here because I think Scott asks Derek a lot of questions. They are just always formed as angry accusations.
2: Does he ask questions? Is that what no, a question is? No, because they're is? actually angry <laughs>
1: accusations.
3: So I feel like that's just definitionally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> In an attempt to get a few words in with Fenris, Scott and Styles wait for him in a parking lot and follow him to his car.
1: Not suspicious at all. And it's really all from Styles. Like, I feel like Styles is the one who looks suspicious, and it's just like his dopey friend is just there with him <laughs> as he's being suspicious. <laughs> and it, it's just, yeah.
2: To me, it actually looks like they're going to approach him to ask if he can find them beer. Like the the closest liquor
1: store. They do. (laughs) They do. They do. These if if you're like it's a Friday night and these two guys are just in front of a like a gas station like Zippy or something like that. Be like as you're walking, you're like when you're walking towards the door, you're like they're gonna ask me to buy them beer. It's like that's exactly what would happen.
2: Uh, I'm totally like 22, but I forgot my ID at home. Uh, (laughs) Can you buy me like a (laughs) kegger? The Mike's Hard Give Lemonade, me a the Coke. keg oh, of beer. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: and Mike's Hard Lemonade.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I liked Zima's in college.
2: I knew you were going to oh, I was the only person
1: keeping Zima afloat gonna- <laughs> from the years 2002 to 2005.
2: 2002 and later in 2002. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It was <laughs> a banner year for Zima,
1: and Will is Zima. to blame. And then everyone at Zima came to their senses and were like, "What were we thinking?" And they I just, just like and drink. I
2: would love to know what Zima tasted like, just because I was too young. I have no no sense of it, but it's like such a fun joke. And I I would just I'm curious. I don't even know how what to what was it. it exactly.
1: It was it was a like a wine beer. cooler. It was like a wine cooler slash beer.
2: Wine cooler. F- beer and had this baby that was clear that rhymed
1: it did rhyme <clears throat> well done
2: i'm so glad that this was the last of the backward baseball cap on styles it's <laughs> was it's it, not a great look for him was it
1: the first and the last all in first one first and last i don't same. think and I i'm okay, okay with that
2: yes yeah, yeah it's
1: like that look and then the blazer over I think the... it's the only
2: time we see styles in a hat ever and i appreciate that
1: yeah Maybe. I don't think anybody ever wears hats on this show. Yeah, it's
2: not a hat show. It's not a hat
3: show.
1: It's a helmet show. No, wait, no, wait. There are beanies. Just remember there was the whole beanie
3: thing. Beanies, yeah. There was the whole beanie thing. Allison has her, her like, beanie of teenage teenage rebellion that she puts on before she jumps out the window. And when she got home and
1: walked right through the front door because she forgot her mom snatched it off and was like, I'm taking back this beanie of rebellion. (laughs) I never should have given this to you. It's too much power for a child. (laughs)
2: With the backwards baseball cap, I mean Styles just looks like he's like in the intro to a Sean Cody video.
1: Who is that? Is that a is that a rapist? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Signing off for the evening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that joke will never not be funny. Thank you, Parks and Rec and Jerry Gergich.
3: Okay, but. Actually, though, Calissa, are you going to explain that joke for us?
1: If it's so in there, Sean you got to
3: Sean Cody
2: is a gay pornography studio that was founded in 2001. The website predominantly features young muscular men in solo and hardcore bareback scenes. Oh. It's amateur on. sex films, gay sex films.
3: But they're they're like, they have bros. Like They
2: have a lot of like bros. And if you Google, there's like, there was a lot of um, like parody stuff going on. I don't know if Sean Cody's still super big, but around the time Teen Wolf was on, there was like a big parody thing where they'd like take uh, pictures and like add the little Sean Cody like logo in the corner. So like if you actually (laughs) Google Sean Cody, something that pops up is a picture of, um, and I'm Actually, just googling Sean Cody, and under Google Images, there's one of Tyler Posey standing next to da- 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 Tyler Posey standing next to Daniel Sharman in the locker room, uh, and it just says at the bottom, "If Colton Haynes was in this too, I would buy this at all cost." And <laughs> all like Sean Cody logo There's also one that has like John Krasinski and Chris Pratt with like the logo next to them. Chris Cra okay. is wearing like the baseball cap and it, it was just like, yeah, kind of like Dude
3: Bros spring break kind of like I got you. I, I, going okay. On. I th- I think I'm getting an idea of the of the vibe here.
1: Sean Cody is what David Dakota aspired to. As he's being followed, Finner speeds up thinking Scott and Styles are going to mug him. That suspicion doesn't go away when they straight up tackle him to the ground like muggers. <laughs> like I feel muggers like muggers too. Well, I'm tackle? sure I've never been mugged or mugged, so um, I don't know. But I'm just like, come on, guys, you're not helping your case here. Styles specifically is who I'm talking to. But it is an unnecessary tackle. Scott could have just put on his wolf speed and just like grabbed his arm and be like, hey, stop that.
2: What up? I'm a werewolf. It was a <laughs> lot even when the boys explain what they want to talk about, Fenris refuses and drives away
1: it would have been because they show like as he drives away there's like this sort of out of place close-up shot of his license plate but it's not a vanity plate and it definitely should have said like howling or something <laughs> so, you know like, but it doesn't it's just like a normal license plate like why would you go through the effort of showing me that's
3: doing yeah that close-up shot it should have been like w l f m n you know and then they could kind of <laughs> like oh see you just do don't want to talk about it but i feel like no, I don't. He would have been like, no, it's pronounced Wolfman. Okay. Wolfman.
1: <laughs> Undeterred, Styles insists they break into Fenris's home while he's out. Scott claims it's a bad idea. Styles says they learn more from their failures than successes, to which Scott replies, he must be a genius by now.
2: That is pretty witty.
1: That was good for Scott.
2: Very unlike Scott. Yeah. is what I was going to say before it was told for me. He, he does have that smile on his face that says he's very amused
3: with himself and his little joke.
2: I'm surprised he high-five himself like Will does.
3: The, the self-five? That feels like more of a Styles move to me.
2: It does. Styles wraps his hand in his flannel and tries to break the glass at Fenris's front door, but fails miserably and hurts his hand while he's at it.
3: Yeah, why wouldn't you have Scott do it?
2: It actually feels more like a Scott idea altogether.
1: Yeah, he could he could have just extended his claws, drawn a circle in the glass, pulled out that piece of glass, and reached his clawed hand inside and unlocked the door.
3: Are his claws sharp enough to cut a hole in a glass pane? Are, d- does he have diamond tips? Like,
1: Well, they're like supernatural claws. They're like, you know, super, they're super sharp.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. She'll allow it. I'll allow it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> the prosecution rests.
3: <laughs> Luckily, Scout finds the key hidden under the doormat. I think that
2: they include the bit with Styles trying to punch the glass because they just wanted Dylan O'Brien to do some physical comedy in this little web series because we don't get a lot of it from him but you know he's just so good at it and it's very much a styles thing to do physical comedy it feels like styles would have thought to check the mat though i feel like they're a little like reversed in this one
1: once inside Styles shares his plan to find finris's research and document what they need on his phone but it turns out that finris isn't gone after all he emerges from another room with a handgun Styles starts to leave but scott grabs him and makes them both stand their ground
3: Okay, Scott really should have gotten in front of Styles here because he could heal from a gunshot wound and Styles could not.
0: Accurate.
2: Does anyone wonder why Scott didn't realize he was still in
3: the house? Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Because he's, <laughs> he's bad at werewolfing?
1: Because he's bad at, he's still learning how to werewolf. Wherever this falls in the story of the show, he is still learning, is learning. Still, still learning. He's
2: still learning.
1: <laughs> he's still learning how to werewolf good. And uh it's an ongoing process. It it is an ongoing process.
3: I bet if Allison was in the house, he would have known it. Whoa. But yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I actually would have really enjoyed a moment of styles just looking at Scott and being like, seriously, it's got to be like, what? (laughs) 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 You you have super human and super smell and you didn't notice another human being like eight feet away from us? What's wrong with you?
1: You didn't notice the cloud of old spice? (laughs)
3: <laughs> he just thought it was
2: coming off of styles styles wears axe
1: he does so, wear right axe there. he does like, Styles Scott, is axe you
3: know guy. i'm an axe guy you know that
1: <laughs> you've known that
3: since before you were bitten <laughs> <laughs> so fenris while pointing a gun at two teenage boys says that he changed his name to get away from nut jobs like them
1: oh my god fenris buddy come closer come closer. (laughs) This makes no sense because you changed your name to Conrad Werewolf. That is what happened. You're saying like, no, I don't talk about werewolves anymore. Okay, sir, sign your name. Yes, Conrad Werewolf. You know, it's like, it's like, buddy, this, your story is just falling apart like at every single turn.
2: Since Fenris is still pointing a gun at them, Scott points out that as a doctor, Fenris took an oath to do no harm
1: well not to like intruders or people with intent to burgle
3: <laughs> okay i'm not sure i even believe that scott is familiar with the hippocratic oath like maybe that's a little shitty of me but like i don't know if i buy that
2: well his mom is a nurse and i can almost imagine her like making a joke towards like styles like i would hit you with this bad but uh, you know i took a hippocratic oath
3: Finally worn down, Fenris tells them a story from when he was working in the ER. A woman came in having been shot with an arrow, which she claimed had been meant for a deer, but had accidentally hit her. He learned two things that day. One, that there are people who heal in a way that science can't explain. And two, that there are also people who want to kill them. They used an arrow because the woman wouldn't be able to heal until it was taken out. They also cut their bodies in half. If you sever the body, there's no way they could heal.
1: Scott asks why people would want to kill them. Fenris speculates that it's down to fear of the unknown. After the ER incident, he spent five years looking for the woman and tracked her to Beacon Hills, but then she disappeared. All he could find was a photo of her and a young man, probably her son. Scott Styles examined the photo and it's clear that the young man is in fact a young Derek Hale.
2: Bibi Derek. Bibi Derek. I'm like 98% sure that is, like, from a photo shoot from him promoting 7th Heaven.
3: It does look circa 7th Heaven-ish. Um, He's
1: very smooth shaven.
3: <laughs> I, I didn't, like, watch the show regularly because it was too, like... 7th um, Heaven. What's the word? <laughs> Christian? Huh? Yeah, that, that's it. But uh, it, it does seem like it's the right time frame. Also, I just want to point out that, like, Fenris... What he says here about fear of the unknown is probably the most compassionate thing that any non-Werewolf character has said about hunters at this point in the show. And by non-Werewolf characters, I mean non-Derek characters, because it's definitely more compassionate than Scott's response to, and he is a werewolf at this point.
2: Fenris goes on to explain that most werewolves who were born into it have a ritual each year at the wolf moon. Scott is confused by that, but Stiles explains that the Native Americans gave every full moon a name. For example, February is the ice moon.
3: So watching this, I said which Native Americans, and they don't actually get into it. So after we watched this, um, I tried looking it up, and it's it's kind of difficult to find information about it because, well, there, we we definitely don't teach enough about indigenous peoples in American schools. Um, but from what I could tell, different tribes had different terminologies. But the ones that Styles is referring to seem to line up with some of the names. That were published in the Farmer's Almanac, which historians speculate might have been based on Algonquin names. But a lot of those were not actually accurate and were just colonists sort of publishing things that they had heard but were not super well researched. But the Sioux name for the full moon in January does translate to something like the Wolves Run Together moon. So the more you know. So... Fenris explains that during the wolf moon, werewolf packs would gather sort of like a family reunion. They would perform rites of passage and draw power from one another. Alphas, betas, and omegas, the lowest of werewolves.
1: Fenris says he's researched werewolves for 15 years and he's never heard of a cure. He frantically searches for his cigarettes, which his housekeeper has hidden from him, and angrily tells Scott and Stiles that their time is up.
3: It's Pretty casual for him to say he's been researching werewolves for 15 years.
2: Yeah, where did that amount of time come from?
3: So yeah, I'm just curious as to
2: where the 15 years time frame like came from. Is that whenever the woman first passed through the ER? I would just, I have a lot of questions there. What
1: yeah, if? And
3: he said he was looking for her for five years before she disappeared. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the timing different. doesn't match up because in the pilot... We learned that the hellfire happened six years ago.
3: We we actually don't learn that in the pilot.
2: Oh, is that the
1: second episode?
3: Because
2: they said, because Stiles said the fire happened... A
3: couple years ago in the plot. No, he says like 10 years ago. Oh,
2: does he?
3: Okay, 10. He says he's a couple Five. years older than us. He's a
2: couple years older. The fire happened 10 years ago. Okay, yes. Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, and as many teenagers are wont to do, he says like 10 years ago, which is teenager for I don't know, but it's a 10 ish amount of time. Yeah. So, yeah. um but it's clarified in Magic Bullet that it was. But he said that he was looking for Talia for about five years before she disappeared. Now, if we want to assume that disappeared meant died, which I would assume because Beacon Hills was her territory, so I don't know why else she would disappear from his radar, then that would place the the ER thing 11 years before the events of season one.
1: What if for him, I mean, this makes it confusing. More confusing. What if for him disappeared means he lost track of her? Maybe she realized he was looking for her and just got better at not being seen by him you know so maybe that i mean i I feel like maybe that's what he meant uh like maybe he doesn't mean died i don't know this this does make it more confusing where because i feel like if he's like trying that hard to find her she's probably gonna figure it out you know and then maybe she was like oh shit this guy's stalking me he's stalking me can't have that for multiple reasons the big one being i'm a werewolf and just kind of hid herself like she didn't leave beacon hills or anything but she just was was like we can't we got to make sure he doesn't see me anymore um it does make it more confusing because i feel like it's supposed to be disappeared being dead
3: i didn't take
2: it as him saying that
3: she was dead well, I just don't know how that would work though, because he he found a picture of her with Derek. Derek went to public school. How hard could it possibly be?
2: I don't know. Maybe he went to some public school, so I was like, Can you tell me who this teenager is? And they're like, sir, you have to be removed from this property. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is the time frame is confusing, but the that's kind time, of table for you.
1: <laughs> the only time on this show that the time frame was confusing.
3: Yep. Totally.
1: Totally. Yeah.
3: As
2: Scott is leaving, he asks if Fenris still believes. Fenris says that maybe there are people who can miraculously heal or who have enhanced senses, but werewolves are impossible. Scott tells him that if he really needs that nicotine fix, the cigarettes are hidden on the bookshelf, third shelf, behind the books, and he flashes his beta yellow eyes. Fenris goes inside and finds, to his shock, that Scott is right.
1: And he races back outside. And just like in that shot from Shawshank Redemption where he lifts his arm to the sky. He's like, thank you for giving me purpose once again. I wish Scott had flashed his eyes earlier. Like when they got to the house and he had them at gunpoint, he'd flashed his eyes then. I feel like, I mean, I get dramatic ending and all that, but I'm also like, you need something from this person who doesn't want to give you the thing, but you have the thing he wants to, you know, where it's just like, you have the tools at your disposal. Derek to...
3: said that if he gave away the werewolf secret, that he would kill him.
1: Scott also doesn't listen to Derek ever.
3: Right? That is that is so true.
1: Scott yeah. would be like, yeah. oh, he said that? What? When was Did that? He? Oh, was that when he was telling me that the alpha wanted me to be his pet or something?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Search for a Cure. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this web series, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you wanna stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you wanna hear more, here comes the alpha.
0: Really, why are you so interested in this? It's just a myth, it's a legend. sure about that? I am beyond sure. I have the certainty of someone who has completely and totally destroyed his personal and his professional reputation for some idiotic obsession.
1: All right, Wolfies, here is our interview with John Posey. Let's have a listen.
0: Tyler and I were doing a movie together that that just so happens that I wrote called Legendary. That wasn't my idea of a title. It's a hard one to live up to. It was something else. But we had just finished shooting in New Orleans when Tyler got word that he booked this. And I know he had gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So rather than going back to Los Angeles with me, the kid just jumped on a plane and went to Atlanta, which is a much shorter flight. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And that, it, that's where I came from. I, when I came to Los Angeles in the 80s, I came from Atlanta. I'm from Florida. But uh, I thought it'd make more sense if I try to get my union cards in Georgia. And it worked out very well. And so uh, I was there for three years. And in ABC invited, my, invited me out. And I came out here. And, and it was just so fun to go back to Atlanta, where they shot the first two seasons of Team Wolf. And actually run into people who I had known in the business who were suddenly looking at Tyler and wondering, God, I wonder if he's related to John. And the answer was yes. (laughs) So that was our first. Tyler went to Atlanta. And then soon thereafter, they had said they wanted me. And you know what? I got to be honest. I'm not sure how that came about. I'd have to guess that you know, I had a chance to meet Russell. I had a chance to meet Jeff Davis. They knew of me. You know, I I can't say that Tyler probably didn't throw in a good word. It's hard to say this episode of Selena because Tyler's younger brother is one of the stars of Selena. So sometimes your kids can help you. You never know. So it could have been that the fact that I played doctor a number of times from ER to Seinfeld, uh, which would be quite different than Dr. Fenris, by the way. (laughs) I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But but. there was an offer to do that and it was just great but you know Tyler and I have worked together on stage we've worked together in TV we've worked together on that the film that I just described to you the one called Legendary and so it's always a blast and I think when we do get a chance to work together it's just like two actors who really get along and they're having fun together rather than me and my kid and the same with Jesse so we we, all of us have had an opportunity to do this which would be some of the more rewarding experiences but I can't quite remember how it came to be. I know we shot the first episode where I'm in the Colton Haynes dream and pulling the wolf wolf bane. And I have to believe if I can go back, because this goes back a ways. I don't know that Dr. Fenris at that time, there was no House then. So I think he was, I believe the name was Fenris, but I think he became something else later. So I I think there was a question of, did we know he was going to continue? And I think the answer is no. I think it might've been a one-off until sometime later. And you had mentioned the web series about the search for the cure. Right. And I not, I would have to ask Tyler how that came to be. It was some connection with AT&T that I guess was the main sponsor. Yeah. Um, something they were doing. And that was kind of a fun episode where I, I knew more about, about uh, uh, Hale's background and everything. And it was kind of a fun little episode that the three of us did together. Especially the two of them chasing me through the parking lot and
1: tackling. <laughs> it's really funny. It's it's a wonderful, just like little slice of story that happens kind of in between episodes. And it's just so much fun to see, especially after you've seen the introduction of Fenris, because that introduction is pretty fantastic. Where it's oh, yeah. Colton is laying on on this bed and his head is in the straps. And you know, you're you're working with the tools and and that scene starts just so innocuous, where it's just it's just a checkup. Super. This is nothing, but then like just second by second, it gets weirder and weirder, and you start pulling out these
0: crazy
1: contraptions. And Colton <laughs> is just—you're telling him to stay still, don't move his head. And he, you have these wonderful close-ups on him, and then it goes to these wonderful close-ups of you with these great tools, and you start pulling stuff out. And, and I the think blood splatter, the blood splatter, and then and then the the petals falling. It's just this. I feel like this is a classic Teen Wolf scene where it starts normal and ends as this nightmare. And it's just so much fun.
0: It feels like it's just going to be a little checkup or maybe he's got a mole. And I remember not quite sure what it was going to look like. And when I see something like that, when I come on, I thought, okay, I don't want to see everything. So there really wasn't a rehearsal other than the director. What is his name? Not Russell. Who's the other director who's so good? Um, Oh, was it Tim Andrew? Tim, Tim. it was Tim. And Tim will say to this day was one of his favorite scenes because it was so creepy. just the way it all came because and it was kind of freaking me out. because as i pulled it you have to assume that okay if i don't rehearse i'm seeing this for the first time how would he really react even though he himself is a surgeon and so he sees creepy things so it was and i had to also be careful because while i'm watching this and as i teach acting i always say find the comedy and the drama and the drama and the comedy and i'm not the first guy to say that but as i'm watching the early episodes and i see what dylan is doing and i see what tyler is doing i'm thinking is there any comedy in here for me or am I just freaked out? <laughs> and, and, I, and I think just the absurdity of the length of the wolf continuing to come out like it was a, you know, like it was a bad magician joke. <laughs> 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 and, and so I just decided to play it where it, the more it happened, even though I have a medical background and I should be aware of these things, I was not aware of this. And so yeah. I got... <laughs> uh, and I think it just kind of it just kind of played that way, so it was kind of comical in a very kind of creepy sort of a weird way. But it was an interesting way to, to sort of introduce this guy, and that's what we shot first. We shot that at, uh, in Atlanta, and then the the web series that came. We shot that here in LA County, just the three of us, which was really fun. You know, it was still early on, and I was and you know what? I'm not even sure if anything had aired yet, so I haven't had a chance to see too much. And if I wasn't in any of the episodes, I wasn't exactly sure. And Tyler's one of those guys that won't tell you anything unless you ask him. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of information. And, and, and I didn't until I started to watch it. And I thought they did delightful stuff with Dylan and his comedy. And, then, and Jeff is, is so creative with the constant uh, you know, monsters that he, that he created each and every season. Somebody brand new. Uh, to the point where, in the last season, I was fighting a whole new level of what were those guys called at the at the very end? The uh, the
1: Dread Doctors.
0: Oh yes, of course, the Dread Doctors. And watching those guys on set with their makeup and everything, so it was, it was just sort of it was a lot of fun. And you know, I used to go and sometimes just watch because they shot season three through six in L.A., not mm-hmm. too far from Tyler or me. So. It was just fun to go on the set and they would shoot so much at night that if i'd get done doing whatever i'm doing i'd go over there at midnight and watch these guys shoot and so but i gotta tell you man you have to be young to be on that show because shooting days one day and night's another boy i think after the age of 30 that's a hard one
1: i I, you can imagine (laughs) yeah yeah, it was rough i mean because like sometimes we had the luxury of doing splits where it's like you shoot a day, like it's all daytime stuff. And then the next day it's like we shoot half day, half night. And then the third day is all nights. But sometimes it's just like, all right, tomorrow we start at 8 PM and that's how it's, you know, and you don't really. And so it's like you have to just basically stay up as late as you possibly can all as far into the morning as possible and then sleep to try and get your body acclimated but sometimes
0: but also uh, just as a, it's not a question you're going to ask but i thought it might be interesting i've been trying to get tyler to play lacrosse forever because i was a lacrosse player in high school and college oh I awesome moments, not a moments of interest and finally he says hey dad guess what we're playing lacrosse i said you are and so the first consultant who was there early on in the early early days of trying to make this work was the guy you're talking to right now so nice I was okay. pulling double duty as the lacrosse consultant for the first few games until they figured out what the, what the game looked like. And it's a cool choice because it was very, as you can see, if they have to create a sport, it's very sort of ballet, like a lot of slow motion, cool stuff you can do with shots six mm-hmm. and the balls flying through the air. And I'm glad they chose it to say nothing of the fact that Tyler finally learned how to play the game too. It <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That, that's so cool. You can actually play catch now. That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. I can remember the night that I think I succumbed to electricity in the cell was the night of the two thousand and sixteen election, and we all kind of sat there with our jaws wide or watching the on a huge screen on the on the on the back uh, on the back of the uh uh of the set that night. It was quite a bizarre evening I to tell you
2: I couldn't imagine
3: and I think will you said that some of uh the events of season six were kind of inspired by the run-up to the 2016 election right
1: oh yeah no in uh, the writer's room yeah in the writer's room because we talked about because we had such great monsters all throughout the course of the show but then I think it was Jeff I mean I had must have been Jeff that was just like you know we will have monsters in the final season but the big monster is just people just people who are kind of fed up with something and granted Beacon Hills has dealt with a lot in the last you know five seasons but like the main villains of season six are just people You know, and it's like what happens when people get really angry and have weapons, you know, and that's what happens.
0: I think I don't know if it was the last night, but if you were to ask what was the most fun, there was a lot of great actors, but certainly the one where I'm in the cell with Tyler and I take off and leave him standing there running away. was always great fun because, again, whenever Tyler and I work together, whatever the relationship is, it's always just like two old guys that have been doing this for a long time. And it was it was always fun. I. Spent years with a one-man show, traveling the country, and Tyler once, when he, he couldn't have been more than five, was traveling with me. We were at a theater in Denver. They had a six-week run, and he suddenly asked me, he says, you mind if I jump on the show at the end? And there is a little moment at the end where he could actually play the kid, that I, I'm playing everybody in the show. I played 20 different people. And I thought, what a brilliant idea. So Tyler sits in the front row the entire time, monitoring the play. Now, mind you, he's five, and he's watching everything. It's almost like he's critiquing me. <laughs> He knew when the time was, there was about a four minutes remaining, and he would uh, circle around backstage, and the lights would go down this very heavy, dramatic moment. The lights would pop back up, and all of a sudden, there's a five-year-old kid sitting on the bench, and the people were programmed to think the entire play was just me, and it was. That's the way it was written. So when I traveled the country for 20 years doing this show, it was just me. That night he did that, kind of blew away the audience, because the lights come back, up, and there's this teeny kid whose feet don't even touch the floor. Oh, more than five, and then after the sh- and then he went when we take a stage bow. He took a bow like he'd been on stage the entire time. You know, <laughs> nice things. Thank you. And then we're- you're
3: welcome, everyone. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> Thanks for showing up. And then we're having dinner afterwards, and you can see all the people coming by, and telling Tyler how brilliant he was. That was our time working together when he was a little guy, and he was sort of very attuned to what was going on on the stage, what I was saying, and why. He would ask me questions about it. I think I knew at that moment that that's sort of where he was headed, and sure enough, he was.
1: Was that kind of was that the beginning? Was that around that time when he when he thought he wanted to do that? This?
0: Before uh, I used to um, take him with me, and I had some innate feeling that Tyler was not going to interfere with an audition. If it was a film or a TV audition, I couldn't because that was too much. But I used to shoot a number of TV commercials. I, I didn't know you could make money doing that until I got to LA. So I'd go in for any you know car commercial, beer commercial, whatever, and Tyler would sit in the room, and all I had to do was look at him. I'd go, I go, don't say anything. He'd sit back there and watch the entire thing unfold on the monitor, then critique me on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was sort of, sort of, uh, kind of his thing. To this is what I want to do, and he was, you know, when I first put him in Little League, the only reason he did it was because of the uniform. So I knew it's not the it's not sports. He's going to be an actor because he's all about the uh, the wardrobe. <laughs> so yeah, I I think I I believe early on that he he this is just something he wanted to do at whatever level and now some years later he's finding himself wanting more and more to get behind the camera and create and write so I'm not sure what the next step is for him. Um but he's had a nice long run with it. I can remember um the two of us were up in Toronto shooting a series that he shot before and after he did Made in Manhattan. And he was still young, I think Maiden Manhattan. he may have turned 10 on the set. And somebody walked up to him and asked him if he was, are you the little boy that did this? And he wasn't quite used to this adulation. So after he goes, yes, he looks at her and he goes, do I know you? (laughs) 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 I I said, just say thank you. She's complimenting me. Do I know you? you? Why is she talking to me? Because she saw the movie. Oh, Do I know you? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it took some getting used to, but he was always very much something that he, you know, enjoyed and wanted to do. And again, now that he's pushing thirty, I think everybody kind of slides in different directions, and he's beginning to look at other things. Whereas his younger brother is kind of doing what he was doing, and sort, of, and he's into it now, and he's in Selena, which is kind of cool. So, so it's kind of, it's it's, it's a it's a déjà vu for me, showing up on the set with my kid and being in a scene with him, you know. <laughs> I've done it twice, so am everything's cool now.
1: That's so awesome! I love that it's a family. This is the family business. That it-
0: yeah, and I, and you know his younger brother wasn't interested. He saw what Tyler was doing, and he had a baseball career. He played all the way through college, and all of a sudden one day he said, "I think I'm going to jump in." I said, "Are you sure?" And so there he is. So yeah, that's so, so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can I can coach them both if they need to. Whether it's a little lacrosse for Tyler or a little acting, whatever they need, we're all sort of in the same field, so it works out there that's fantastic. That's so cool. So, and, and Teen Wolf was always fun. And again, I'm trying to go back and remember some of the things and I, I can only remember how wonderful the, uh, the set for Iconos. I mean, that was creepy walking in there and you knew it was a set oh, I'd yeah. have in between scenes where I say, I'm going to go sit in the cell. And I kind of wish I hadn't, you know, <laughs> it really felt like you were in a dungeon and accidentally somebody would lock the door and you'd never be hurt from again.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, a fantastic set. Our, uh, Production designers and art departments and set decorators, they every single set blew out of the water. If it, even if it was just like, oh, here's the McCall house. It's like, this house is amazing. I want to live in this house. And then it's like, oh, well, here's Iken House. It's like, this is amazing. Where is the exit, please? You know. <laughs>
3: and I do not want exactly.
1: to live here. You know, so it's well, just they committed to every single set and they were all beautiful.
0: Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a set and I'm thinking, man, I'd love to take a 15-minute nap, but the Iken House was not one of them. No, no. (laughs) mattresses inside cells where you could have laid down i said no i'll find my chair i'm not laying down in the Icon house it just felt too real yeah no that's how good it was it was great yeah what an ambitious show all the way around i mean uh, mtv didn't put the heavy money but you couldn't tell by the production values oh that is
2: stunning to look
0: at yeah i feel like out of all of our
1: interviews the common thread is we had no money but the show still looked just amazing like it looked like we had like a five million dollar budget per episode and it's like nope mm, mm, not even close to that thing but it's just all the money was on the screen in every single shot and the ambition was fantastic and everyone pulled it off it was amazing
0: i remember the either it was one year or two seasons i can't remember that the uh, the uh, the eyes that uh, um, tyler hecklin and tyler had to do were were contacts it mm-hmm. was killing them because the colored contacts are heavier than the colorless contacts. And so it was making them nuts, and sure enough, by season two or three, they were able to do it all in post. So it made everybody's life a lot easier, and it looked just as good. You really couldn't tell the difference. Every now and again, as I coach kids, when I say kids, a lot of them are younger. It just so happened. A lot of acting coaches don't want to deal with kids, but for some reason, they fell into my lap. So I'll come upon an 11-year-old kid who knows every Teen Wolf episode and others who have never heard of it. It's very interesting. That's yeah, awesome.
2: We've started an Instagram and whenever we started thinking about doing the podcast, we thought we were going to get the original fans, but we've had so many like, yeah, like 13, 14 year olds reach out to us and tell us how they caught the show. Um, first one was on Netflix and then Amazon, now Hulu. And it's really like changed their lives. And it's really incredible hearing their stories. And, but so many of them don't know anything about like search for the curing thing because it's been taken down since the original run of the show. So we're trying to, know about all this stuff that they might not uh, know about because it's on Hulu now instead of MTV promoting it.
0: Yeah, and even if it's 10 years later and, and society has changed somewhat, uh, there there's something really magnetic about what what Teen Wolf did and how so many people came on board and talked. I can remember reading some of Tyler's mail from kids saying how much it changed their lives. And I don't think, uh, I don't know, I don't know how large an audience will find it the second time around 10 years later. But I think it might it, it have the very similar effect. It was just, a, you know, you, you look at Jeff's background with criminal minds and you and you think, all right, now that's a creepy show. That's a mm-hmm. really dark show. And Teen Wolf had a whole different sort of element of while it was dark and supernatural, there was all kinds of just great heart and comedy uh, yeah. and, and and other things that I think, and, and putting Dylan in that role, Dylan O'Brien, I think was a it just a phenomenal idea, and the two of them together. And I remember how they met early on in the whole uh, casting process and how they got along from the get-go. Uh, the first time they met, they were like the best of buddies.
2: Uh, They're all sc- incredible on screen together. It's yeah. just so great. And yeah, they completely, you believe them as best friends <laughs> through and through. Yeah.
0: yeah, two very goofy kids. And and they both uh, were attracted to music. They had their own bands at the same time. So they had a quite a, they had quite a bit in common. Also the fact I think they were roughly the same age and the youngest two in the cast, I think. Yeah, I think so. They both just turned 18 and the others were in their twenties. Except maybe (laughs) over. What an adventure. My gosh. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
2: So appearing on the show from season one through season six, yeah, they were so young when they started. What was it like getting to watch the cast grow over time?
0: Well, and they did grow up. interesting to watch and you, you may not find the answer to that until you maybe come back to it. then you watch season one again Tyler and I watched season one recently he looks like a baby
2: he does, <laughs> he does. he's so different they're all, he's got so all the young. tattoos now and everything yeah. it's
0: so yeah. different trust me I don't I can't talk to me about the tattoos none of that was my doing but you know <laughs> you're 18 you're kind of on your own but such a fresh-faced <laughs> kid and then you know I've been on shows before where the Like I would come into season three of a show, I'd go back and watch season one. And you say, boy, it took a while. It took about maybe a season before everybody realized who their character was and all the connections were. And you can see them grow. And the same was true here, where it takes a little while, even though you've got great direction and you've got great uh, writing, uh, for people to know who they are. And sometimes as that develops, the writers will move with it, where you can see certain cast members seem to, to, to blend together better. And so you could just, you could see it grow over that six year period to the point where it was funny because I started thinking, hey, you guys look like you're not in high school anymore because you're 26, but you're still playing <laughs> in high school. And that's, you know, it's the same, same was true, I guess with Beverly 902. Beverly, was 90210. Some of those kids were pushing 30 when they were still in high school. Uh, right. but, it worked. but it's great just to watch the maturation and watch them get older and watch their hair change. And all of a sudden they're no longer kids anymore. Then you go back and you watch season one, as I did. With Tyler called me the other day and said, "Hey, man, you ought to watch Team Wolf. It's really good." And I said, "Yeah, I know," because <laughs> I'm watching it again. For the- <laughs> and it's it's so ambitious. And it was even from the very first episode, the very first one, even the even the opening moments where he's hanging upside down and or he's outside yeah. sticking and, right. and Dylan flips over the the awning upside down um, from the get-go. You know, it was that combination of supernatural fear, scaring the hell out of you, and at the same time having some comedy, and it just works so well.
2: Yes, it does. Yeah, the show really has something for everyone. Romance, drama, comedy. I think that's why, yeah, it resonates so much with fans, like you were saying.
0: And how great for this to come along and find that young audience. And by the way, you guys recall, they had great music in the show all the time. Yeah, They, they introduced a lot of great artists, a lot of music. And I thought I don't know which department handled that, uh, but I I, I used to comment to Tyler, man, there's a new piece of music. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, did they not credit them on the episodes themselves where the music was coming from, or? A lot of times they did do that.
3: Yeah, that was something. Yeah, they'd have (laughs) little like on-screen pop-ups. Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. and and that was great. Which was cool. I don't know if that was the connection to MTV, but it was uh, it it was great music on the show.
1: Yeah, really. That that would have been Laura Webb, who was our music supervisor. She found this ridiculous cache of music and brought it to the show and i have so many favorite songs that are from this show and yeah the music was always just fantastic
0: um and so yeah no it was great very ambitious small network but a very ambitious show and i can remember early on you know uh, toddlers reps weren't so sure this was the thing because it was mtv and you know let's go find network instead and uh and Tyler was pretty sure of it. He said, no, man, I like this. I, I like the feel of this. And so he you know, stuck with it and was there to the very end. Um, and I, I'll tell you, it's uh, I, I hadn't seen that kind of adulation. I mean, there was a time probably before all of us born when there was no TV, when the movie stars got that kind of adulation before it kind of splintered off into other things. But two summers ago, uh, Tyler, myself, Friend of his and a friend of mine decided to take a four man motorcycle trip across. We were going to go to Milwaukee because it was a 125th anniversary of Harley and they wanted Tyler for some photo ops. And I thought, well, let's ride. Yeah. Why fly us? Let's Yeah. Ride. And Tyler thought that was a great idea. And Harley loaned a couple of bikes and we had two bikes, but we kept running into rain. And so we finally stopped in Denver and they flew us to Milwaukee and flew us back, and it was great. But even in the smallest, I mean, we were in Saint George, Utah, pulling into a gas station in the middle of nowhere, and within three minutes, the whole city of teenagers had somehow found their way to this gas station. <laughs> no matter where you are in this country or other countries, it was a hit. It was a big hit. You know, you just, you know, to this day, I, I remember uh, helping Tyler with his taxes, and I said, "What is this DoorDash that you have nine hundred entries?" He goes, "I can't leave the house, Dad. I have to order in." <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't yeah. know Door, I didn't know what DoorDash was but he said I just I can't man I gotta, I gotta I gotta bring the food to me I can't eat in peace so uh, a, a huge hit that really impacted a lot of people and not just here I mean all over the he did those comic cons I think all over well he can't now but up until 2019 uh, Australia Brazil New Zealand Paris you know it was just you know, yeah and
2: we have to go through and kind of use Google Translate because we'll have fans reach out from all over the place. We'll get messages in like Turkish, Russian, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. And we're like, we don't know what you're saying, but we want to answer you. <laughs> so we'll just have to do our best. We yeah, fans all over love Wolf. All
0: world. over the world. Yeah. And really something. So my, my hats off to Jeff for whatever he had in mind and everybody else and and Russell, who was probably the only guy in on the set older than me to really know what he was doing. <laughs> and keep young at heart. What a great director. Oh yeah. He is. Great to work with. It was rewarding because, you know, when I came in, you know, it was funny because not everybody knew, even though the same last name, and I never said anything. When I I did my six or seven episodes, whatever it was, and there were people in the set who had no idea who I was and and other people who knew, and nobody ever said anything about it, but we just sort of treated each other as, you know, I guess he was the right actor for the role, and he just Mm -hmm. happened to be related to Tyler, but it was always, professional and, and, and fun working with Tyler. Um, and and, and I, think, I think the AT&T thing you're talking about, the search for the cure, may have been the only time I also worked directly with Dylan. I can't remember, but I think so. Because a lot of the times when I was in Eichen House, that wasn't part of Dylan's storyline. Right. Uh, Tyler was down there a couple of times, a couple of doctors were down there, um, uh, Dylan's dead. Uh, Lyndon was down there a couple of times. Uh, mostly I was in with some really bad people. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can attract the worst of the worst. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Were there any actors or characters that you would have liked to have um, shared more screen time with?
0: Michael Hogan, boy, he was interesting. Yeah, and so interesting. I remember looking looking him up, and he'd been around for a long time. And what a great piece of cast. And Linda and I knew. Linda and I came from Atlanta together. Linda and Ashby. So we actually knew each other. It was really kind of funny to walk on set, and there he was. Because mm-hmm. um, we had both come out to L.A. at the same time from Atlanta back in the 80s, and he went back to Atlanta, and largely that's how he got in, because they were casting in Atlanta. So he was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and great work. Um, but yeah, Michael Hogan, what an interesting dude. What a really interesting guy to watch. Uh, and I, and every episode that he was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Kate. Jill Wagner was a lot. Of, excuse me, guys. I'm probably older than a, a stupid <laughs> simple names. Uh, yeah, she was great. It was really, really terrific casting. And it was, you know, you don't you don't uh, it, you don't know what you're going to be going into when you walk in. And it and it was just a great cast of people. And I never knew. I, I, I'm i thinking, All right, what is this Dr. Fenner's? What does he look like? And it's always fun to play. You know, like I say, I played my share of different doctors and entirely different, you know, kinds of programming from the heavy dramatic to psycho. Um But uh, you want to make sure you're sort of in the same league with everybody and that it works and that it's believable and that you're not in there saying, well, yeah, I'm Tyler's dead. You think they're just throwing me a bone? I I know I felt very comfortable and very at home with this guy. And he was a lot of fun to play. Uh, I know he was sort of, uh, you know, covering for the supernatural guys down in the basement. But at the same time, like that Wolfsbane episode we were talking about, it still freaked him out. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of if you don't play that, you know, you you don't want to go to the comedy route like they did on Young Frankenstein. But (laughs) (laughs) it it was just as dark, but it was very kind of real and creepy. And there would be moments of just sort of oddball humor that I'd throw out there to see if it worked. And for the most part, it did. So it was it was just a a real fun experience. The funny thing was they would bring me back like a year here, another year there. So so much had transpired in between. I wasn't sure where everything was. If I hadn't sort of watched every episode, sometimes I'd miss a few. So I'm sort of guessing uh, as I am. And uh, I know Holland and I had a scene where she was locked down there somewhere that was a lot of fun. And sometimes when I would get in there, just like, you know, sometimes when you're block shooting, you're not sure what episode you're in or what's happened or where you are. And so that's where you just have to sort of trust everybody. Right. Uh, you have guys like Russell on the set or Tim directing things, just say, where are we in this? You know, who am I talking to? Who's who's my buddy and who's not? And I'll run with it and hope that I, we, we make it work. So there's a lot of that block shooting now that people do, and you have no idea where you are or what season you're in. So
3: in the web series, Dr. Fenris mentions uh, berserkers. And then berserkers end up on the show as like major monsters seasons later and there's like no mention of them in between but like there's sort of that little breadcrumb in search for a cure and later we see them and find out that they're real too so i thought that was really interesting that he's the one who actually introduces that
0: i wonder if jeff had that in mind i love that name the berserkers because i know i as i was talking to tyler early on he said you know there's a lot of interesting information about this whole like what's it called lycanthropy Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. The whole Spain and everything and I said yeah you're right it's like it's a real thing you start looking it up in the encyclopedias and there it is you know whether it's myth or not and, and that's what was kind of fascinating about that search for the cure was reading that I, I, and I thought man is this real uh, but you're right they didn't bring the berserkers back for a couple of seasons or so mm-hmm. and then they they really did
1: yeah, yeah they were great monsters great monsters for us to, to play with So in Search for the Cure, we learn that Fenris is sort of compelled to study the supernatural. Uh, You know, from when, from your time diving into that character, where do you think that type of compulsion comes from for a character where something just wraps up your life completely and you just can't let that go?
0: I I think if I were to play something, it would be that he must have heard something as a kid from somebody. Maybe there was a deep, dark grandfather who was a doctor who brought it to his attention. Nice. because it's something that uh, you obviously bring that, that up to people that will think he was worrying it for a long time. so there's something that he knew from somebody. It's like what make, what might be conspiracy theory, nuts, nonsense that some people meant something for him, and it turned out it was real. just nobody believed him. and i and I think even in that search for the cure, he was pretty sure the guys were there to make fun of him until he realized they wanted they were looking for information. And like everybody else, is right. like stop, stop making fun of me. Was his sort of you know point of view? Leave me alone. And sure enough, they're looking for something which kind of surprised him. See, so he he kind of feels like that outsider who had some information that nobody wanted to believe in, and so they kind of shunned him. Right. And so that, that's sort of what I would play that there was something deep the, the recesses of something that happened to him when he was a kid, or was told, or 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 literature that he found that might have been the secret literature of a grandfather or another doctor in his family, something like that. Now, I want that story. If they ever came back and wanted to create something, I'd I'd be right there.
2: Do you have any just really fun stories from set that you'd like to share with us? You mean from Teen Wolf? Let me think.
0: Yeah. And it would always be mostly just uh, hanging out with Tyler and his friends. And always, you know, they'd say, uh, they go, uh, Mr. Posey, they're ready for you now. And I always thought, Mr. Posey? (laughs) (laughs) Am I that old? Am I, my, am I my dad? But you know, I really, I wanted to sit back and let this be Tyler's thing. I mean, if it, you know, there are many episodes of shows I did where I had probably a lot of very entertaining stories, whether it be Seinfeld or working on Cheers and some of these other things that I did early on when I got here. But uh, watching Teen Wolf, I was it was just so interesting to sit back and watch Tyler in his elements, seeing how far he had come the a little eight-year-old kid who got started here he was 10 years later sort of doing his thing and he was very dedicated to the show he was a, a good ambassador for the show um i know in my years of travel that a lot of actors will get to do a tv series and after two years they go man want to get off the show and do another one and tyler, <laughs> tyler was never that guy he was just very happy to be there and did what he could to make sure uh, everything worked and he and he he promoted the show and was just, well, not the kind of guy that was going to bounce to the next thing and i i would have to say maybe the best day i had on the set of teen wolf was not a, an episode i was in but it was watching him direct his episode
1: right yeah i kind of
0: sat behind oh him. yeah and he directed just the one but mm-hmm. i know it came in under budget under time and he was great and i'm watching him do his thing and i thought man this is great uh because i i don't know that I have that skill. I tend to sort of defer to other people, which you could never do as a director. And uh, uh, and it was just fascinating just to sit back and, and and watch him do what he did and do it well and and have uh, and, and see the final product. It was great. I think it was maybe the last season. If I'm it was, right. yeah. It was in the last season. Yeah, he
2: did an incredible job with yeah. it. Yeah, he's very talented.
1: I remember seeing him on set. He just had such incredible energy you know because the days are long and the nights are even longer and it's a hard job it's it's not glamorous you 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 know sir that that it's not glamorous you know it's like you're all there to do a job and the glamorous part is what the camera sees everything else around it is just hard work and yeah. but he just had incredible energy and everyone was happy making it and uh, i really hope we get the chance to talk to him about the show in general but definitely about the episode he directed cuz it was just such a great uh, breath of fresh air, you know, because we had so many great directors on the show and each one is different. And then he came in and ah, so excited.
0: So so, did, it was so much fun. Yeah, he did the prep work and the post work and he was great on set with everybody. I just kind of I was not in that episode. I just I'm going to come in and watch it. And I've got great pictures of him looking at the uh, monitors of Video Village and making his decisions. And it was just really rewarding to watch it. So I would have to say, uh, privately and secretly, that was the most fun I had on the set. Was just sitting back there and watching him do his thing. Oh, I, I love that.
1: That's wonderful. That's, that's so
0: wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think that's where he's headed. I think he's he's talking more. He's got a partner. He's creating stuff. they they want to get it made. And he did a he, he did a, a truth or dare and kind of likes that world of zombies and things like that. Just did a zombie film recently that that uh, I had a little cameo in there with him. Alone, uh, right? <laughs> yeah along yeah, yeah. Along with donald Sutherland. um and so he may be uh, he keeps uh, he keeps thinking that that's the way to go and i'd, I'd love to see him pursue that because he really did have fun doing it. very rewarding and, you know kind of like some people say what's the great what do you feel the most accomplished and as much as i've had a fun sort of a varied acting career that's bounced around I probably my greatest day was on the set of a film that I wrote, when I hear Patty Clarkson and Danny Glover delivering the words exactly as I wrote them, uh, or having them both call me at night saying, "John, let me ask you how to do this scene." I'm going, "You want you want to ask me how to do a scene? You're Patty Clarkson. I don't know what to tell you." <laughs> and so that was very rewarding to to, to watch those guys come in and uh, and get a. Film made that I had written as a spec script. I wasn't hired to write it. I wrote it one day, thinking one day we'd get it made, and we did. And so, and so, uh, I, you know, watching Tyler was kind of like that. You know, when you're watching somebody who's doing something from scratch, just as when uh, my script got made, it was very rewarding. So, I think Tyler feels the same way about his directed episode as anybody did. Would be my guess. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs>
3: So we've uh, talked a lot about the various monsters and ghouls on Teen Wolf. What type of creature would you have most wanted to play on Teen Wolf?
0: And those Dread Doctors look like, they look like something out of Mad Max, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. so good. So good. Mad Max to this day, I don't care which one, number one, all the way through number five is some of those fantastic. And I'm sure Russell will be, you know, from that part of the world would probably agree that those are uh, those are the monsters you want to create um and they just did a they 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 just did a wonderful job with these guys and again the being the that it was not a heavily budgeted show you wouldn't know it by the final product you really wouldn't and it was you know I didn't get a chance to you know it would have been great for me to have a little more time with these guys in the dungeon down there at Iken. we didn't didn't do that but and it was just so funny sitting in chairs as we're getting ready to go on, you know, while these guys are sitting in their chairs like drinking cokes. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> and, and and I've had a few of those where you're sitting. I mean, that, that's always the the funny the funny commercial where the you know where where you know like Clark Gable's walking by a couple of guys dressed as monsters on the same yes. lot. Well, it felt that way sitting in in our chairs, ready ready to go on uh, with Teen Wolf. Very entertaining. I got a chance to see Eric's work up close. Like I did often walking in the trailer, watching Tyler have to peel off, you know, three hours of teeth and sideburns and fangs. and (laughs) Yeah. So it was like that with these guys. And if I'm not mistaken, these actors who they brought in to play, these dread doctors had to be fairly tall on their own. I know there was some lifts, but I think these guys were, you know, they were well over six feet.
1: Yeah. Doug Tate, uh, one of the actors, and Marty, whose last name I'm, is escaping me. I'm sorry, Marty. They're very tall. And Caitlin DeShell, who played with the geneticist, she's 5'10", I think. She's very tall. And they're all very fit and toned, and they all know how to move. They are all just great movement artists. And, and like I know, yeah. They knew what they were doing, and they brought those characters to spectacular
0: life.
2: Boy, did they. Any of your appearances on Teen Wolf, what was your favorite scene to film?
0: I think it might have been the last one because there was all this action going on where I'm electrocuted, there's water flooding, there's all kinds of chaos. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that might have been the last one I did. And so there was, there was a lot going on that day. And you'll have to excuse me because sometimes some of these scenes run together. But there was a lot that had to happen to make that work. And I think Tim Andrews was directing that episode as well. And it's funny, when you get down in there, you sort of sort of get used to the place. and after for a while when like I say rather than hanging out in the trailer you hang out in that sort of dungeon area and it starts to grow on you after a while <laughs> so then you can kind of feel the despair and the darkness of everything so when you get to that moment where everything happens where I guess you, you meet your demise it becomes very real yeah um, you know all whoever whoever was uh, uh, you know all the special effects and the stunts and all that it all just you know you get right there and I'm ready because you know, I'm standing down there waiting, and I and I think I want to say that might have been the last day that we shot all that. And you know, the the funny thing is also is while you're down there, and some of the other mental patients who are down there, you're looking at these guys. You go, "Hey, dude, you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> background actors and they have to spend the whole day in the dark corner someplace. And I'm going, man. I hope that guy gets a beer when he gets out of here. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> gotta suffer for your art.
0: Yeah, there were quite a few of those guys hanging out down there in the dungeon. I hope they weren't affected negatively by it. But I think that would be it. Other than just working directly with Tyler and having that one scene where we all run out of the we run out of the uh, the, the dungeon there together. It was it was funny. Uh, Seth, like some other guys, sometimes you come on and say you don't know who knows you. And Seth would say, "I think Seth, (laughs) he knew I was Tyler's dad, but he didn't know I was an actor." And I go, "Okay, (laughs) 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 yeah, about 30 years, but you know, so (laughs) (laughs) obviously not everybody knows your work if you're if you're not the A-list guy." But it was fun. You never know what they're thinking. (laughs) I I had a chance to work with almost. I can't remember if Tyler. Well, oh, yeah, Tyler Hecklin and I. I think we worked in the first episode with the Wolfsbane. I think it was Colton, Tyler Hecklin, and me. So I got a chance. I think I pretty much worked with the entire cast of kids at some point or another. Probably in the first couple of seasons before we switched to the uh, much later. If some of them were no longer there. It, it was it was great fun, and uh, I, I hope that Tyler and I get a chance to do something together, whatever whether he's directing me or or. I've written for him again. Uh, Tyler was also in that film with Patty Clarkson and Danny Glover, and there's a, there's a, there's a scene where I yelled at him and I said, you know, Tyler, I think that might be the first time I ever yelled at
1: him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, yelled at him as as cast members. I mean, it was my job in the scene was to yell at him. He said, Dad, I don't think you've ever yelled at me before, so that was it. So yeah, hopefully we'll get a chance to do some more of that, whatever side of the camera we're on. I hope so, very much that, yeah.
3: So how did uh, filming in L.A. on that set compare to filming in Atlanta in season one?
0: Well, I think in Atlanta, most of it was location. I don't think they ever actually built much in the way of sets because they—they they weren't. I don't think they plan on being there that long. And Atlanta's fun because I know Atlanta because I came from Atlanta. So it was great to be there. But then once you get here, it just makes life so much easier when you uh, – uh, when you're going to a place where everything is built in that one location there in the Northridge Chatsworth area. so you, And it's just kind of convenient. I mean, I think as actors, sometimes even crew, it's always fun to go on a location someplace deep in the woods or some house or some corporate building someplace where you get to. But I, I think after a while, probably most people are more comfortable just going to a trailer and knowing where you're going to be within that building. And it was great, the, uh, the the sets that they built in the, in the sort of warehouse that they had, the two different locations that they had in L.A. I think in Atlanta, I don't think they ever got that far. I think it was almost all location. Will, you may have a better answer. I can't recall because I was only there for a couple of episodes, but it was mostly location shooting.
1: It was a lot of location work for the first two seasons. There were some sets, but not like seasons three through the end where we built a ton of sets on both of the stages we used
3: what about on uh teen wolf at at what point did you find out um that you were going to meet your demise on teen wolf
0: gosh i think it was it was not till there and i and i can't even remember there was some conversation about did he fake his own death maybe it wasn't him maybe it was somebody else i wasn't sure if i'd be i'd be coming back i just remember there was that talk i said did i die or do we think i died and everybody said we don't know yet (laughs) <laughs> it's the
2: Teen Wolf way
3: that
0: is it the is. Teen Wolf way yeah. <laughs> fairly close to you. I said, yeah okay let me know if you need me but it was fun getting electrocuted while standing in water
3: <laughs> um, did you. you have any upcoming projects you wanted to talk
0: about I don't you know what I've got scripts that are out there uh, and that's all I know right now I know uh, Jesse and Tyler are doing their thing but uh, uh, I've been for most of the last year, I've been teaching a lot at the scripts back out there again. We'll see. I, I, maybe in a few weeks, I'll have an answer because I've got a sports script, a Christmas holiday film, and this cool medical drama, and they're all being looked at right now. So nice. I may have a different answer. Well,
3: Thank yeah, you. definitely uh, let us know so we Please, can check
0: yes. it out. Yeah, go to Whitefire or to either, if you go to Facebook and it's called Father, Son, and Holy Coach but there should be a link on the white fire theater and you can watch that show streaming. And I want to say that it's going to become available. I want, I think they said May 2nd, but you've got two or three days to watch it or something like that. I nice. if I can look at it and I can get that. For sure. Yeah. So thank that's
2: you. One thing, yeah. Thank okay. you. That's one thing about, um, you know, COVID has allowed, uh, you know, the opportunity to see plays and stuff that normally wouldn't be able to, just because they've been, made them streaming like old productions of them and stuff. That's, been one very small silver
0: lining there. So <laughs> yeah. you can see plays I wouldn't normally get to see. Watched it, and mine was shot. It's not me now. It was shot a couple years ago in front of a live audience. So it's one of the last ones we did. Um, but take a look. It's kind of a it's kind of a fun show. Um, and the uh, the other rewarding thing of working with Tyler and Jesse both is that the last round we did, they they produced it. So they would come out whenever we traveled. They were with me. Oh, so that's, that's awesome. Good. Although I did find out that sometimes young girls would come to the show just in hopes of finding Tyler and could care less what I was doing I'm oh. <laughs> uh, Not
2: surprised. By that.
0: Made that mistake of opening it up at a high school that I went to, and there were about seventy-five girls who were seventeen years old. I thought, why are they? Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe they've just discovered a love of one-man shows.
0: Yeah, it could happen going to come on stage or what but they they bought tickets and i had no idea where they had any idea what i was talking about (laughs) on stage but they sure knew what time it was well this was good guys
1: yes sir this is fantastic thank Thank you yeah
2: everything is so much so amazing talking to you yes
0: great thanks very much good talking to all y'all see you again
1: yes sir see you
2: Starring Dad
1: Pussy. <laughs> Starring Dad Pussy. And he's really good in this. Like, I thought he yes. was great in, what, was that the fifth episode? Or the sixth episode? When he has um, that scene with Jackson? Getting it was the stuff. Nine. Oh, that's right. Wolf Spain. Like, he's great in that scene. It's just a small little one-off thing. And I'm so happy they brought him back for this. And maybe we'll see him again. Maybe keep an eye out, listeners. For uh, some, some more, Dr. Fetris.
3: So John Posey, in addition to being in Search for a Cure, is also in Spain in season one. That's episode nine. Um, he shows up in season four in A Promise to the Dead. And then in two episodes in season five, A Novel Approach and The Last Chimera. And then in season six B, he shows up again in Said the Spider to the Fly and Raw Talent at which point he dies.
1: He makes it pretty far.
3: He does. <laughs> he makes, makes it from season one far. all the way to 6B. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And he's, he hides out in Icon for a couple yeah. of years before we see him again. And it, it I, I it's a great surprise when he comes back. But I remember being uh, in the writer's room and we were like, okay, we're going to Iken. We're going to have this doctor character. And then I think it was Jeff or someone was just like, what about, what about Posey's dad? Let's just bring him back again. Why and why instead of having like this whole new character, it's like, let's just let's just do that. That'll be fun. And yeah. that's what we did. And it,
3: was, it is fun.
1: It is. It's yes. totally fun to see him again. It, Cause you for, I mean, you forget about this character. Cause I mean, he's in oh, one yeah. episode and he's in one scene in season one. Then he's in this web series that I wouldn't blame you if you didn't see it. And then he shows back up like three years later, and he just out of nowhere, he's right there, and you're like, oh shit. Like, oh you're still here hey man yeah exactly so yeah is your friend jackson with you you're like uh no he left <laughs> he went to london. england
3: werewolves of london
1: <laughs> it's so interesting in this web series they were introduced to new ideas that get paid off later in the show like omegas are brought up and they're not mentioned like you said in season one but they're a thing in season two you know like in the first episode we have the omega the, the homeless guy who's like eating dead bodies and stuff, and then who gets cut in half at the end, and then berserkers. My God, they make a big appearance right. in season yes. four, especially oh in the pilot, not the pilot, in the open, in the season opener, season opener, all that stuff in the tunnels. It's very aliens esque, where it's just you're getting like close ups of like bony spines and like their talons in the dark, and you're like. You're like, there is something in here. And then one of the characters is like, there's something in here with us. And it's just so awesome. And then you finally, I don't think it's, I don't think we see them in their full glory in that episode. I think it's, don't they attack at the school? It's like a nighttime scene. And I think that's the first time we actually see. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's uh I think it's Scott and Malia are like running away. And then, like they come to it, it's like all in slow motion. They come to a stop, and it's like through that tunnel, that school tunnel that they had at that location. Yeah. And it's just that berserker walking towards them in slow motion, all backlit. In, of
3: course, in slow motion. In
1: slow motion, because it looks beautiful. And it's just like these; these are monsters, like monster monsters on this show. So,
3: I mean, the, the Berserkers, I like, I think, is the big one, and then, like you said, they get more into Omegas later.
2: There's no other mention of Omegas in the first season, which I find interesting. Like, whenever Derek describes himself, he describes himself and Scott as Betas. Betas, even yeah. Though it makes more sense for them to be Omegas. I mean. Derek I kind of understand a little bit more because he just lost his Alpha.
3: But I I feel like the way Omegas are handled in the show proper, when that actually comes up starting in season two, they portray them kind of differently. So the way Fenris talks about them in Search for a Cure kind of makes it sound like within a pack, there is a hierarchy that includes three roles, right? Alpha being the leaders, uh, Betas being the other pack members and then omegas being sort of bottom of that pack hierarchy. But once we actually talk about them in the show, Omegas are more like lone wolves that don't have a pack. That what defines an omega is not having a pack at all. Yeah. Which is a little bit of a a shift there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Scott doesn't have any sort of um
2: allegiance to the alpha. So it's but I guess he is
3: being like rude. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was actually going to say, like, being sort of pack courted by the Alpha. You know, like, technically, he, well, we know he doesn't have an allegiance. Scott has decided that he doesn't have an allegiance, but it seems like, sort of, the default is that the Alpha that bit him would consider him to be part of his pack until drastically shown otherwise.
2: I would like to know more about this whole idea of, like, Omega's joining in with another, with a pack to participate in like rites of passage and this drawing of power, because I thought like the whole definition of Omega as we go on in the series is being separated from a pack and being the lone right. wolf, so to speak. Yeah.
3: You know, he has been doing all this research, but it doesn't seem like, I mean, it's not firsthand research, right? Like he's clearly not sitting down and having deep conversations with werewolves, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's possible that the information that he has is good, but not perfect. Yeah, yeah. So his concept of what an Omega is and the werewolf community yeah. concept of what an Omega is, you know, differs. Yeah,
1: it seems like his information, like, when it comes to Alpha's, Beta's, Omega's, is drawn, like, from real packs. Because, like, real packs, right, like real wolves have... Packs omegas you know and they're just they're the last one that eats and and all that and i feel like and on fire takes that same approach where it's like kind of taking that the actual pack structure of real wolves and surplus and, and that's planting and planting that on top of a human family and um and then it changes for season yeah. two where they're like no 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 our omegas are lone wolves and outcasts
3: i I, I like the lone wolf thing better i think it fits better into the the portrayal of pack dynamics that we get on the rest of the show because that doesn't feel like a very familial thing Mm. right to have it, it it's fine to have like a matriarch and or a patriarch you know a pack leader and then just pack members who look to them for leadership, but like having like a pack bitch just seems shitty.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's not a human thing. Like that's an animal thing. And it's like, you're putting animal stuff on top of humans and it's like, well, but that just makes you an asshole. And we can't have Talia Hale (laughs) be an asshole or something. So
2: yeah, I definitely love the, I really enjoy the mythology that the show handles but I do appreciate the, like the research that went into like on fire and everything to mm-hmm. create um kind of like a world that hadn't fully been built up by Teen Wolf yet because it was like right like so it wasn't established yeah. yeah yeah so I, I do still really appreciate like the effort that went into uh coming up with that canon
1: absolutely the world building the added world building in on fire is very well done like, I mean, it doesn't feel out of place or at least like at at that point in the show. You know, right. maybe- there, there
3: is ultimately some retconning, which I feel like couldn't be avoided, but yes. certainly at the point that it came out, it fits very well into um, the canon that had been established so far and definitely delves deeper into some of the characters, mostly Derek. Yeah, and it's also interesting both in- uh on fire and in search for a cure the discussion around wolf moon and what it means Mm -hmm. to the werewolf community i'm really enjoying that phrase and i'm not going to give it up just so you guys know because the the pilot of team wolf was called wolf moon but it's not like it's ever discussed in the show proper despite that being the title it's not like nobody talks about the wolf moon or what that means yeah Um, to the story so it, it is kind of cool to get that information especially because if you consider at least parts of on fire the parts that haven't actively been retconned to be canonical then it does have even more significance to the story because that's when the hail pack was killed was on wolf moon
1: yeah that concludes this week's episode of return to beacon hills we hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things teen wolf follow us on twitter and instagram at rtbh podcast and on tiktok and tumblr at return to beacon hills and don't forget to support the show by going over to patreon.com forward slash rtbh podcast if you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss you can email us at return to beacon hills at gmail.com rate and review us on itunes five-star reviews get a shout out Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills.
3: Dude, it's Beacon Hills.